This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 7, Episode 52. This is Writing Excuses. Today we are microcasting. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. We're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. First question. Do you have any embarrassing pet projects you created before you were professional? And what do you do with them and how do you regard them? <laughs> um, I have my very first novel, which is based on my D&D character and involves... Uh, winged space aliens that can transform to look just like people. The plot is somewhere between the A-Team and Battlestar Galactica. Okay. Uh, that is... I totally want to read that. <laughs> you think you do. Uh, that is firmly in the trunk. However, I did carve two short stories out of it. Um, really? Yes. Awesome. Yes, and sold both of them. Okay. Um, well, there you go. Yeah, one of them is uh, Bound Man. And the other is uh, Portrait of Ari. And you can find both of those on my website. Cool. Um, I wrote a lot of game-based fan fiction when mm. I was a kid, which I'm not embarrassed by. Uh, the first time I tried to write a book, though, and thought I was original, but it turned out it was actually still just game-based <laughs> fan fiction. I remember that book. That I'm embarrassed by. That had some cool stuff in it. It had some pretty cool stuff. The funny but, thing uh, about that one, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, reading it in Dan's first writing group, I was like, this is awesome. Like, this magic system is amazingly cool. <laughs> Turns out it's the Warhammer 40K magic system. Yeah, it's just stolen. <laughs> and I thought it was brilliant. I thought Dan was brilliant for I, years. I thought I was brilliant, too. That's the embarrassing part. <laughs> um, yes. Yes, I have embarrassing projects. And uh, most of them I've been careful to uh, not keep track of what file format they were saved in. So I just can't read them anymore. My first was actually a D&D fanfic also. Yeah. Um, it was about um, elves and dwarves living on a, <laughs> on a flying rock in the sky. Oh, the flying rock in the sky. Flying skies. rock in the sky. It's like a big, you know, yeah. flying island thing, okay. but it was set in the Dragonlance world. Oh, okay. Um, and it was using the Dragonlance subspecies of, um, of elves, and they were oppressing the dwarves who mined the flying, spa um, flying sky rock. I'm not sure how long they could keep doing that until say, their that's... flying skyrock no longer flew, but that was what it was about. Like, that's not going to end well. Well, the flying skyrock did actually... blow up at the end. Okay, I was going to say. Dwarf terrorists. You know, it would actually be an that's interesting true. story about people mining a flying skyrock and, yes. and the, you know, the consumption of natural resources. Yeah. You know, these early stories of mine, the interesting thing I can learn from them. Looking back at that, and another story that was not very good that I submitted out, that's the one that MZB wrote on, on the manuscript, Show, Don't Tell, and sent it back to me. Um, a lot of them were what you see from very young writers, the, there is no story, it's like an experience or something, it's like mm. tragedy. Tragedy strikes is kind of the story, like my flying sky, skyrock story, it involved like, you know, the elves are like, wow, something's going wrong. And the dwarves are like, we're going to blow this place up. And then they do. Um, <laughs> and there's like, not like conflict or, you yes. know, another one was like this old man, like walking back to, he's now a wizard and he's walking back to where his apprentice, a dragon killed his master. And it all takes place in flashbacks while he's walking along. And then he gets there and like the dragon kills him or he kills the dragon. I can't remember, but it's all told in these very telly flashbacks. And there's like not really any story. It's like, yeah. you know, th there's not a conflict. It's. I'm going to kill my master's killer. Okay, I've done it. Um, yeah, I have. I have one that I wrote in um, in high school. So I, I feel like 
you know, I, I was actually yeah. old enough to know better, but um, it was uh, first person present tense stream of consciousness. Ooh, you were reading some James <laughs> I, Joyce. I, I don't want to read that one. No, 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 you don't. No, I, I actually tried to salvage that as just a, a writing exercise. And I'm like, no, that's actually not salvageable. <laughs> yeah, we salvage this by smelting the electrons back down into completely new electrons that we use in a different doc file. I do have one of my high school stories on my website. Oh, in the library section on my website, if you go to that, there is old short stories. You can read what I, the one I wrote in high school just before I started writing stuff that wasn't terrible. So, so we've spent four and a half minutes on this. We could oh, clearly keep talking about, about the, uh, yeah. the things that we write that are terrible. Mm -hmm. We could do a whole podcast on... Things that we wrote that actually, were... Actually... Well, the things that we learned from it also yes. um, could, could, I think, really be helpful for people. Yes. I'm just ready to go on to the next question before you guys <laughs> press me for details. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of... <laughs> How do you tell if your idea is too big for the story you're writing and what do you do? Um, I, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, pull the mice quotient out. Um, if your idea is one of the letters of the mice quotient, you know, it's a milieu idea or it's, uh, an event idea or a character idea, then it is not inherently too big. If it is, if it encompasses more than one letter, uh, you know, it's, it's an M and a C and an E then it's probably too big for a short story, but you should be able to wrap a novel around it, no problem. Yeah, one of the things I will look at uh, is the number of characters, scenic location, and, and plot events, um, which Howard is referencing at least a little bit with, yeah. with the mice quotient. But uh, the biggest thing that you run into in, in terms of trying to keep things small is, is characters and scenic locations, mostly because the scenic locations means that you are... Um, aside from just needing to devote words to establishing it, it they also represent places that the story itself is moving, not the characters, but that the plot is moving. Let me uh, to to recant a little bit. One of the conditions under which I'd, I'd say that an idea is too big is if the implications of the idea you want to make a single change. Uh, for instance. Um, all people of African-American descent are immortal. And you want to write an alternate history uh, starting in the 17th century or the 16th century or something with, you know, with immortality like that. That is, I mean, the implications of that are huge. That is a massive research project in order to explore, you know, all of the things that would, that would unfold from that. That idea might be too big for you for now, Mm. But it's the sort of thing that once you're a better writer and a better researcher, it might be, I mean, if it's something that fascinates you, then by all means tackle well, it. Well, I, I think it's important to point out, though, that uh, a story of any size can include an idea of any size. It just doesn't have to be fully about that. Yes. Yeah. You know, if, if your idea, if your story is about, you know, immortality in that way, then that's going to be a lot. But if it's about how that immortality affects one guy during this one job interview... Yeah. You can tell yeah. that short story. I, I will say, um, yes, but with the specific example that Howard is giving, mm -hmm. um, that there is so much uh, cultural baggage that goes with that, that it is going to um, unbalance the story. Which is why I picked that. Yeah. I picked something it's, that was hugely... Yeah, it's, it's 
it's going to unbalance the story. Right. And no matter how com tight the plot and the characters are, the rest of that is going to throw it completely out of whack. I, 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 I think Mary's got a good point. And the way we could shrink this down to be a better short story thing is Immortal Man applies for a job interview that is specifically interesting, you know, for mm -hmm. an immortal to apply, mm -hmm. you know, what, what, you know, how does this work? Is it just an average job? And then like, but we have a pension and how do we deal with a pension with somebody who's immortal or, you know, how do we deal with retirement or things like this? Yeah. That sort of concept. If you've got something that, yeah. you know, the job interview, it could be fun and interesting. It's when you start getting the baggage that gets longer and longer and longer. All right, next question is, um, we get questions about this all the time. Um, how do you avoid being discouraged? I don't. I get, <laughs> okay. discouraged. I get discouraged all the time. What I avoid is uh, not getting any work done when I'm discouraged. Okay. Um, and that mostly involves forcing myself to sit down and do the smallest possible piece mm. that I that I know I can get done today. Um, you know, yes, I'm discouraged, but I know I can write one script. I know I can ink this one thing I drew yesterday. Even though I hate the line art, I know I can do this much. And usually, for me, that's enough. You know, once I'm going through the motions, that's enough to uh, get a full day's work out of me uh, once I've started. But starting for me is usually the hard part. For me, I also, I mean, uh, discouragement just, it happens uh, sometimes. For me, I try to look at the roots of it, uh, because usually if, if it is about the writing, um, it is specifically related to something that has gone wrong in the story that I have not yet identified. Because uh, there have been stories, I just finished one, that I just felt like I was beating my head against the wall and um, finally figured out, you know, it was, it was like a three-line change to to insert the right motivation to get me past that. Um, but it is, it's about teaching yourself to work even when you are not wanting to and trying to figure out why you don't want right. to. Right. I think this comes back to the idea of knowing yourself and your writing. Mm -hmm. If you know yourself real well and you know what kind of how you take, you practice enough, you get a feel for what type of discouragement this is. Is this discouragement because you're just pleased in a certain project? Is this general, you know, blah, whatever's happening internally, I'm off um, discouragement? Is this my home, home situation is just really bad? Or, you know, and those will have different fixes. Yeah. Um, I think from a fan perspective, or not fan, but an aspiring writing perspective, they're probably asking along the lines of, I'm getting discouraged um, for get, about getting published. Oh, um, yeah, you just kind of have to put the time in. I mean, yeah. that's unfortunately, um, you know, Jay Lake, uh, who won the Campbell Award, has I don't know how many novels out right now. Mm -hmm. um, he's often called the ubiquitous Jay Lake because his short stories are in so many different things. He's got well, mm -hmm. several hundred short stories published. Uh, wrote consistently and submitted consistently for 20 years before he finally sold something. Um, so it's really just persistence. And I think maybe changing your perspective. Mm -hmm. What is your goal? Yep. Um, is your goal to get published? Well, that should be a secondary your goal to becoming a better writer. And if you can put your priorities in the correct places. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's do our book of the week. Um, our book of the week is Who Fears Death? 
by Nadia Korafor. Um, this is a fascinating post-apocalyptic, magical, um, dystopian, it's coming of age. It, it kind of covers the gamut. Um, and it's a world in which it's post-apocalyptic. So they, they have computers, but there is a functional working magic system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, the language in it is really beautiful and it, it challenges a lot of perceptions and raises some really interesting questions. This one should come with a warning because, a content warning, because it, it does go into some pretty dark places, but they are questions that I think that are worth asking. All right. right. Audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. You can start a 30-day free trial membership and get this book for free and another book for 30% off. All right. Next question is, how do you handle multiple magic systems in a book? Why don't you field that one for us? <laughs> Dive um, into that. That one seems targeted pretty much directly at me. Um, the question you may want to ask backing up is, why put multiple magic systems in a book? Um, and yes, Brandon, why would you do that? <laughs> I put multiple magic systems in my books because I had spent a lot of time writing um, standalones, each with one magic system. And I had gotten so used to doing that when I approached the Mistborn trilogy, I said, I'm writing three books. I'm going to, you know, I've already sold this trilogy. I want to have, I'm worried that playing with one magic system won't be enough for me. So I built into it three related magic systems that then each book I could add a focus on a magic system which would allow me to play to my strengths in the trilogy. Um, I've done a similar thing in Way of Kings with, in the Stormlight Archive. Usually, I would say you don't need it. If you've got a really good magic system, then write one novel about it and, deal, and you know, do it, deal with it that way. The other way to go about it is to make them connected. Um, I liked, you know, I, I put the, the running theme of metal into Mistborn intentionally to kind of, you know, give these three magic systems an inherent cohesion. Um, the more magic systems you add, the less they should each do, in my opinion. Mm. Meaning, um, there, there are more magic systems, quote-unquote, in Way of Kings, but the scope of each person's individual power is much smaller than what a Mistborn can do. And so that when we go to that person, you can keep track of, this is what this person does. They play with gravity and um, you know, yeah. pressure. Okay, well, I remember that. I can focus on that. and keep it, I, I want to keep it intentionally more narrow for each individual, to, because if we're going to have you know, a dozen different characters doing a dozen different things, it turns more into something like X-Men, which actually does a pretty good job of this hmm. and this idea. You can remember what Nightcrawler's power is. Um, and it comes to the point where you're like, are those each their own magic system, or is it one umbrella magic system? And see, and, if, you, uh, yeah. if there's, there's an easy analog for this in science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you were writing a book in which nanotechnology is... Uh, very advanced and critically important. Well, that's cool. There will be lots of neat nanotech things. That does not rule out the possibility of really cool genetic manipulation yes. things and mm-hmm. really cool infosphere uh, data manipulation yeah. things and high energy particle physics things. And in fact, most good science fiction, if you, you know, far flung science fiction, you will see the implications of multiple, uh, quote, magic systems, unquote. Right. Uh, and and science fiction authors do this all the time. But remember in writing, you've got to keep your focus on usually, even in a novel, 
one of these things should be the focus of your novel and the rest can be touched upon and then used in sequels. Um, at the most, I would say, have two characters each with a different magical background get together and be like, mine is so weird, no, mine is so, or yours is so weird, no, yours is so weird sort of thing that can be um, a really interesting way to go about it. This is magic, no, this is magic. But, you know, the, the thing I keep coming back to with magic um, to remind you is your story should be about characters um, to a lesser extent plot and your magic, while vitally important to telling a good story, um, a good fantasy story, is nowhere near as important as having great characters. And so ask yourself why you're wanting these multiple magic systems. If it's just to add complexity, don't do that. Do it to enhance your story. All right, we're going to go ahead and be done with this one. Um, I want a writing prompt. Um, I think I will go ahead and give it. I think I just talked about it. I'll let you do one magic system for one character, one magic system for another character. These are two individuals who get together and their different, different styles of magic clash with one another in very interesting ways. You decide how it is. Perhaps one is more scientific and one is more mystical. Or, you know, one is, stay away from generic fire and water. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for them to rub each other in interesting ways, character-wise. All right? You're out of excuses, now go right. Hi all, this is Brandon. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. I just wanted to give you a special reminder. Audible has my novella Legion up for free in audiobook. And so, since they're a sponsor of the podcast, I thought I'd give an extra shout-out to it. They actually have, if you go to www.audible.com slash Sanderson, uh, they have Legion up there. You, there's no trial. There's no strings attached. You just get it for free. So I hope you guys go get a, give it a listen if you haven't already. And you can go to audible.com slash Sanderson to download it and give it a try. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.